everyone has their obsessive behaviors, their little compulsions. You might throw salt over your shoulder. For me, when I'm presenting, I like to have a piece of paper on the ground. It shows me my, my set list, just like a band at a dive bar. One time I was presenting, and uh, some friends that were with me tried to throw me off by drawing silly faces and graffiti on my uh, on my set list as I looked down in the middle of the presentation. I kind of got thrown a little bit, almost freaked out on stage because they put smiley faces and obscene things on my on my set list. But I made it through it. I could see, I could imagine a Scott that wouldn't be able to make it through that. Someone who would be obsessed. I know it is in me. I think we all have that that person, that inner obsessed person, that intense that intensity that you know is inside you, but you can't you can't let it get that far. This week on this developer's life, we talk about people who have a little more trouble letting go of that. First, we talk to Rob Sullivan. You might remember him from a previous show. He's come back to talk about some of his his quirks and how he's taken those personality quirks, those obsessive behaviors, and turned them into strengths. How his boss appreciates him even more. Next, we talk to Rory Blythe. Rory is a self-confessed eccentric who's also a talented programmer and a former professional speaker and teacher who gets so obsessed about things he can't understand why you're not obsessed about them as well. This is the only man I know who can diagnose a heart murmur using just equipment you'd find in an ordinary kitchen. He did that because he was reading a medical manual. Why aren't you reading medical manuals too? Two acts this week this developer's life. Obsession. This developer's life is brought to you by Code Rush for Visual Studio. We appreciate their support. With Consume First Declaration, powerful templates, smart selection tools, intelligent code analysis, innovative navigation, and an unrivaled collection of visual refactorings all working together, your development productivity will increase dramatically. Get Code Rush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash coderush. My name is Rob Sullivan, and I am a DBA. But don't worry, I'm not going to sit here and drone on about databases. I'm, you know, I'm not going to lecture you about giving a crap about parts of an application outside of that help ticket you're working on. Instead, I'm going to talk about another three-letter abbreviation, and I have a sneaking suspicion that more than just a couple of you are going to be nodding your head to this one. So, what are those letters you might ask? You know. Just because I'm not going to drone on about databases doesn't mean I'm not going to be a DBA. So before I give you select rights to those letters, we're going to have a little chat leading up to these new permissions. 
In a lot of the episodes of this developer's life, we hear a lot about what pushes us or what motivates us. As developers, we try and take this industry by the horns, or in the case of that Scars episode, those horns take us. These are great topics, and they usually involve a lot of conscious effort on our half to take on something and see it through. But what about that part of us that says that we have to do something? The part of us where we jump past the meta and go straight to dogmatic compulsion? That's right. The theme of my story this week are a sequence of letters we are all too familiar with. I'm talking about OCD. I think practically every developer I've talked to has some amount of OCD. And of course, me being a database guy, it has all but replaced my bloodstream. Like, say you email me some code, say you email me some T-SQL. That's a language I know pretty well. But unless I take it and reformat it into what my brain sees as T-SQL, I might as well be looking at some obscure language like like Valgol or white spaces. And I do this so much that I am incredibly fast at it. And and the funny part is that people think I'm awesome at T-SQL because of how quickly I can find or fix a problem in their code. But honestly, it has nothing to do with me being smart. It has everything to do with me just being OCD. Like, as I start taking that code and reformatting it into something I can read, just that whole act of breaking it down and rebuilding it flushes out like, like nearly every problem. It's like uh, it's like those moments where you go and ask someone a question, and through the process of uh, verbalizing your problem, you work out that own, your own solution. But <laughs> but the sick part is like like it is a constant struggle. Even when I find the problem, and uh, and like you think I could just stop there and let the person know what's up, you know, I, you know, I make a little note about the problem. I I can't stop there. <laughs> I have to like continue on and keep reformatting it and it makes no sense like i cannot stop reformatting this code until it gets into its happy format and I, you know i won't even care about the person's problems i'll make my note i'll get it to its happy place and then i'll let them know and it's pathetic So I was trying to think of another example where, where just simply being OCD pushed me into success. And, and I was doing this by, by just jotting down some things that I consider myself to be pretty good at. And one of those things that popped up on my list was command line. Now, I, I had to laugh at myself for a bit for just writing down command line proficiency. And second, kind of thinking about the how and why I got to that point also cracks me up. And part of it is... I honestly, I just obsess about some pretty random stuff, like uh, terminal services. Ask anyone I work with, and I am absolutely the most annoying person about yeah, nagging about disconnected terminal services sessions. It, okay, I'm actually probably the most annoying person to work with on a lot of things, but on this on this issue, uh, I crank it up to 11. It, it, it just it drives me nuts. I cannot get over it, and I have to... And I have to look at it. I can't explain it, but I, it's just one of those things I have to do. I, I mean, it's crippling. Like, I can't move on at times until I find this information out. And I'll get this itch in my head that says, oh, you must check these sessions now, Rob. And I have to do it. And I... <laughs> yeah. I think anyone that's worked with me knows knows about it because I mean, I'm, I'm pretty annoying in general with some of my quirks at the workplace. But on this particular issue, I, mean, I crank it up because I just... 
when I see a disconnected session, I'm like, oh, you know, I have to say something to this person. You know, why are you taking up the slots? <laughs> oh, and especially if it's with a generic domain account, like, oh man, these systems, you know, these ops peoples are the, they are the worst about just using, you know, their high privileged account and just leaving it disconnected. So I can't figure out who it is. So I have to dig down further. Okay, which, you know, what IP did it originate from? And then track it down and be like, dude, you know, this drives me nuts, stop. It's like, you know, boss, you know, why is dude in the server? And they'll be like, what? And, you, you know, you just, you look really proactive and like the sharpest guy in the world. Being the bridge builder I am, you know, if, if you know, I don't want to, you know, doubt my boss if he's calling me sharp. So I agree with him. And when I was talking to Rob for this story, I couldn't help myself. And I asked him, you know, what if you had five terminal services sessions left open on your server right now. Talk to me about that. I think the fact that I can't form a reaction other than just, I'm the hairs on my, if you could see them, the hairs on my arm are up just you talking about it. And I can't, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> why? I mean, why? Why is someone on there? What are they doing? Why, you know, it's a database server. Why? It's, it's it, it it becomes an unanswerable question and that you know to an i person you know to an it person the unanswerable questions are the hardest and the fact that i can't get any resolution on that question is it's backbreaking like why 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 would you do that why would you not you know log out why is your session disconnected like why are you doing on there to begin with and then then like I have to, once I see that I have to go oh did something change on the file because I'm kind of particular about file systems and file system layouts so then like it's almost like someone broke into your house and you just found out so you want to go through every part of your house to figure out oh you know my shampoo bottles a quarter degree off now ah. yeah it's it's kind of like that you almost feel like your turf's assaulted. Then I came along, I came along this command line tool named Quinsta, and that just blew me away. I could, you know, I could pass the different switches, you know, different server names, and list out all the information I needed. It was super fast. I didn't have to, you know, deal with the GUI, and it was amazing. And I could take that command line tool and, and wrap it in a batch, and I could take that batch and I could, you know, map that to some keystrokes and like in just seconds I can find the information I need I can I can scratch that mental itch and get back to work and and I'm not <laughs> I can't stress enough like finding that tool was like getting a virtual inhaler for my terminal services asthma like it was amazing and it started to snowball a whole series of like you know batch files that did all this information collection and server metrics and stuff and <laughs> and it might sound kind of silly and stupid but when, when you're going through these and you know you see the information so much and you know what you know what to expect and then that one day that one day you're checking it and you're and you're scratching your OCD itch and you see that blip that little abnormality that <laughs> and that ends up saving 
company you work for a lot of money. It gets it's pretty amusing when people <laughs> mistake that, like you finding that as you just being totally sharp and on the ball and so proactive. And naturally, being the complete peacemaker that I am, I you know I have to agree with their assessment of my striking intelligence and you know just how on the ball I am. And I don't dare bring up at how much money I have probably wasted just looking at all these worthless worthless metrics metrics over and over again. Oh jeez. But there's times where like I'm not wasting company time. I you know, I'm wasting like entire days I, I you know i'll get into a funk if i don't do something it, not like a work funk like just a whole day or a confidence funk like uh yeah my monitors i, I keep them all, all separated from like scaling importance from left to right like my leftmost monitor will always be a dev type environment my rightmost will always be a, a production type environment and like if i'm doing something or get distracted and a connection string ends up on the wrong windows like it it will just rack my brain. And I mean, it's the dumb, you know, I can sit here and talk about it and say like, it makes no sense to get hung up on that. And like, why would I care? You know, I shouldn't care. But when it happens, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost like the rug pulled out from, you know, the rug's pulled out from underneath you. It's, it's kind of hard to ex explain how catastrophic it can be. To, you just start doubting everything. And in our, our industry, when you're solving problems, when you're solving hard problems, you sometimes need a fair amount of confidence, and when that's gone, you can just spin in circles. And it's never fun. And, or another time, like, I'll get so stuck in a way of doing something. Like, like let's take the double-edged sword of the batch files. <laughs> there's things that batch files are good for, and there's things that batch files are not good for. And especially, like, with PowerShell, there is an incredible there's an incredible amount of things that patch files are not good for now because PowerShell can do things so much better. It has so much, it has so many more hooks. And sometimes like, like when you get that comfort bubble around a technology, like, like a command line or something, it is easy to miss some big picture concepts or, or, you know, fundamental shifts in the way things are done because you don't want to let go. And that's, that's definitely times where, where this, you know, where these comfort bubbles or, or these obsessions or, or these ways that I have to do something, I just shoot myself in the foot. And, or, or like if I have something set in my mind and I can't get over it, and a concept that should, you know, take minutes to learn or, you know, a problem that should be easily solvable, I just simply cannot do it and I can't walk away from it and I grind on it. I, I don't know why. Like my brain just says, you have to keep grinding. You have to sit and do it, and you can't get up until it's done. And uh, and I think it's something that I think you start to get experience, and you you hopefully start to like recognize your tendencies, and you just you just work at getting over it. Like to me, for some of these things, I I almost like have to do a brute force attack on my brain to get over something. And I, I mean, I just tell myself over and over, like, you do not do it like this anymore. Get over it. 
And I just beat it, beat it, beat it. And over time, I guess, you know, like a blacksmith, you, your brain starts to mold and <laughs> take on a new obsession. Special thanks to Rob Sullivan for sharing his story. It was one of our first user-submitted stories, and we appreciate him taking the time because he really set the tone for this entire show. You can see what Rob is up to on his blog at datachomp.com. Next on the show, we've got Roy Blythe. Roy shares about being eccentric, being a little obsessive, and how he makes it work for him. fudge you have to eat the whole box you know what i mean and as, as a guy who just eat, ate an entire box of samoas who's a diabetic that was yeah a bad idea how long did you do that uh about this morning okay so you're gonna you're okay you're not gonna no i'm not gonna drop well just, I, mean, I, okay. I could potentially drop but yeah i i made a big mistake today i yeah. i just i can't just eat one actually i should probably check my blood sugar but um but yeah it's a good actually good question Where, where's my blood sugar well, we'll find out. I mean, if I, Sorry, if it was I, just, I mean, it would be over, really go. inconvenient for you to be interviewing me and then to have the nerve to, Die. you know, yeah. Like the time you're on the plane and you're bothering everybody just because you were dying and you needed that candy. Um, <laughs> typical diabetic, but yes. whatever. Well, I probably will have to go get an apple at some point. Okay. What kind of stuff do you do and then get stuck doing i get stuck playing xbox too long i get mm. stuck reading too long um today is supposed to be my day off and i'm <laughs> I, 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 i'm i'm talking to you yeah you know what i mean i just i get work is i am obsessive about it and it's a problem and people say do you need to have work-life balance and i always say well i do i'm having a good time okay see that's that is that's something that i've been thinking about a lot lately um as I've looked back and thought about everything that I've done over the past several years and really the, the, it was a conversation I was having with myself and it started with the question in my head, what do I want to do for fun? And then I got into this, uh, very, uh, Socratic dialectic, uh, sort of interaction with myself about, okay, fun. So what is fun? How do I define fun? What does fun look like? What shape is fun? What is fun? I could not figure out what fun was. 
And I think that that's what happens in the tech industry when, uh, when you're actually into what you're doing is you are having fun, but you are also working and you never ever stop and you lose perspective. And, uh, and for the second time in my life now, uh, I've actually at point stopped for a while, just trying not to do tech, you know, get an apple, which makes it hard to work. And then, and then stay away from tech and just lead what I consider a normal life. Got a girlfriend that I was going to start a family with. At least we were talking about it broken up now, mm-hmm. but, um, but, uh, I wanted to ha- I wanted to see what it was like to be a normal human being. And I did the same thing in high school. I just stopped. Uh, actually, no, it was college. It was my it was my first couple years of college. I just stopped coding um, because I wanted to have a regular college experience. It's also to stop and figure out: Am I doing what I really, really, really want to do instead of perhaps what I'm obsessed with? And the only way to do that is to stop, take a step back, and 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 look. And uh, yeah, the work life balance thing, especially at Microsoft. Um, that's something that gets brought up all the time. And I, I don't know about you, but I really haven't even been able to properly define the concept in my head. It's uh, I feel like other people impose their ideas of obsession or work-life balance or what's healthy or unhealthy. Um, and I hate to say it, but sometimes I feel like it comes down to intellectual capacity for learning things. Uh I get stuck like you were talking about eating the entire box of EL fudge cookies <laughs> or or uh, uh, playing Xbox for a really long time. I tend to dive into several things at once, um, like I'll obsess learning a new uh, music composition program or I'll obsess over health, over medical things um, to the point that there's no episode of House that I don't know the ending to in the first 37 <laughs> seconds and uh yeah uh, or when i was learning how to play chess in college yeah uh, I, it was introduced to me by a couple guys and i found the game aesthetically beautiful i thought it was just beautiful but i lost every game yeah. for the first four months but i would not stop playing i played every day and yeah. i lost every day and then i go away for five weeks for winter break i come back and something's happened in my brain during that period where I wasn't playing. Um, and then I didn't lose. Like, I just stopped losing. And I won every game. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's similar to taking a step back from tech and looking at it and thinking, is this really what I want to do? And and seeing what happens in the back of my head when, when I let my brain do what it will. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard being a nerd. It's hard being a geek. I don't know about you, but do you get told you're intense? Do you get told you're obsessive or anything like that? Yeah, when my wife introduces me, we always talk about like how long is it going to, how long will it take anyone that we meet to peg me as a computer person? And it's it's like it's both painful and funny. Like we meet the pediatrician, we met a new pediatrician a couple weeks ago, and 
I don't remember what I said, but we were talking about something, and I basically said, "Yeah, you know, we should probably do a CBC Chem Seven and dip a urine or whatever." And he was like, <laughs> "He was like, oh, you're a doctor," and, and, and you know what I said? I, I sat there and I said, "Um, I'm just a fan." <laughs> and what do you do with that? I mean, I just, I'm a fan. I mean, I just, you know, I I read a lot and I I kind of know some stuff. Maybe I'm a Maybe I'm a freshman in pre-med or whatever. But, you know, I know some stuff. I know a little bit about a lot. And, well, that's it, and, and then he was like, oh, well, then you're... He said, well, then you're a computer person. Okay, that's odd. Um, because he just knew. Computer people, they Google. They Google and they know what is what is BS. Their BS detector is high. So then they get a general sense of being a, a generalist. That's interesting because when I talk about uh, health and medical things, for example... Uh, sitting here right next to me right now is the 18th edition of the Merck manual. Um, <laughs> like it, it's, it's the dead tree version. I could have gotten a cheap uh, uh, app that has all the same information and is updated and blah, 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 blah. But when I'm learning about something, um, I, like to, I like the tactile uh, experience. I like, to, I like to have it in my hands and turn the pages and, and cross-reference, look things up, even though it takes longer. Uh, I feel like I invest myself more when when I have in front of me, and I cannot just click on something in the Merck manual and get distracted and go from this to like reliving the Furby era and looking at Furby hacks or something like that. See, that's a completely random connection that is a sign of someone who's spent way too much time uh, online um, mm-hmm. and and making these long distance disparate connections between things. So. I don't know, you, you you say a fan, I say, I think of it as, there are a lot of people who think that you have to go to college, you have to you have to go to school, you got to major in something to have any right to say anything about it or any right to uh, uh, have any sort of knowledge about it. But to me, that's just kind of nuts. And, oh, and yeah. well, and I get called obsessive and I get called arrogant and this and that. But for example, the ex-girlfriend, I'm lying there one night and listening to her chest. I'm just lying there with my head in her chest. We're just snuggling. And I hear this little faint, distant, just something slightly wrong. Most people's heartbeat, bump them, bump them. Hers, there was this almost indistinguishable double beat on, uh, uh, much faster than that. And within an hour, I had made a stethoscope um, and, <laughs> and, and, and I was checking it out. And within... Uh, uh, the next day, within two hours, I turned my iPhone into a digital uh, stethoscope that I was able to use to record, isolate, and then spectrally graph her heart rate, <laughs> her heartbeat, and it showed that in fact she does have an extra an extra beat in there that's not supposed to be there, and so she was able to go out and get the paperwork done and get her start getting her insurance to prepare for what might be heart surgery and it turns out that her father has a condition that uh is very similar to this and i don't know like i a lot of people would say that's obsessive but i love her we're exes but i still love her and Mm. and and uh, uh i find that to be a great motivator for for getting things done i built a microscope uh last year in an afternoon out of household items she had a great junk drawer and I have a microscope now that I can use. It's, it's a little tricky to use, but I can literally see, I, I, I like to pull hair out of my face um, very carefully with tweezers <laughs> and I can see the sebum, the dried sebum at the very tip of the hair. Um, 
And from that, I learned about uh, subcutaneous infections and how acne spreads. And uh, none of it has to do with like intensity or obsession. I think if you look at what I'm doing and if we talk about what you did and if you look at what we're doing right now, like you're interviewing people in part for a living, right? And I used to do that. And I think it's really because I'm interested in almost everything. That's what it comes down to. Not obsessed. I'm interested. And the things that interest me more than others are things that I will dedicate long periods of my life to. And I feel like obsession has this negative connotation that suggests I can't control myself. Where really, I just... Choose not to. Choose not to... Control yourself. Oh, oh, oh. Um, well, I, I actually choose to control myself. I choose to... Uh, <laughs> ignore other things uh, so that I can so that I can really dive into this thing. And then once I feel I've reached a, a point where I'm satisfied, where I feel I've learned enough that I at least get the picture, hmm. then I move on to the next thing. But I really, we don't have a lot of time. That, have you, you've read The Power of One, haven't you? You seem sure. like the kind of guy you would have. Okay, do you remember the line? I don't recall it exactly because I read the book in 1998. And that's going to make me sound obsessive, I think. But um, I recall, I think there being a line where Doc says to PK, there isn't enough time in life or in the world to learn all the things that we need to learn or want to learn. And, uh, and that's exactly how I feel. Like working at Channel 9 and, and having worked with Carl on .NET Rocks, um, and interviewing everybody from Bob Wrestleman to the guys who implemented UAC, I loved all of it, every last second of it. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to interview the janitor, right? Because the janitor's experience at Microsoft is going to be different from the janitor's experience someplace else. I really want to know what it's like for everybody in everything. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, a, there's a line from that about to have a brain is not a sin, but to have a brain and not use it, that is a sin. A lot of people that I meet or people I get close to who see me do this, they think there's something wrong with me. And there's absolutely something wrong. There's a ton of stuff wrong with me. Um, I I have two psychiatrists and they would both attest to there being plenty of things wrong with me. I have a string of psychiatrists actually that I left in my wake who would all agree that there's something wrong with me, but it's not my interest in things. It's, you know, being crazy, but that's totally different from being interested in something to the point that I would learn something inside out or psychology or or uh, uh, just you just name something an ology an ism a this a that and I want to know about it languages you're a language guy you mm-hmm. love language I don't know the room you're in that you showed me before we started talking is that your is that the room where you had your uh, your library that, uh-huh. right okay yeah and on the walls you have books on uh, Ethiopian uh, uh, languages. I don't know if that's correct, Ethiopian language, but yeah. dialects and yeah. um, and then other languages as well, Indo-European, Germanic, name it. You have been interested, and you might not learn a language in full, but no. you'll read the grammar. You'll learn about it, and mm-hmm. you'll look at the relations between, say, Portuguese and and Spanish and Italian and Latin, and look at the way things migrated, changed, and the history behind it, or or French and English and the way sensitive. 
and sensible have been flipped around. In mm -hmm. French, sensitive is sensible, and sensible is sensitive. It's fascinating. Like, how could you not be completely <laughs> fascinated by that? Yeah, you I know that my, my wife tells me to be careful talking about stuff like that at dinner parties and stuff because nobody likes this know-it-all. I'm not, I'm not saying I know it all. I'm just saying I would like to. No one's implying I know it all. I just like to, you know, isn't that fascinating? Like we were at a dinner party recently and I said something like, yeah, last week I was in Belgium and da 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 And afterwards my wife suggested that maybe the Belgium part wasn't necessary because <laughs> it would make them feel bad. Yeah. And I didn't understand that. I mean, I was trying to give context. I was in Belgium and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. It wasn't like, hoo hoo, you know, I was in Belgium yesterday talking about da 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 da. You know, it was just... Okay, so I've, I was thinking about that exact subject, uh, uh, not, not you in Belgium and your wife in a dinner party, but in the abstract, something very, very similar. Uh, today, yesterday, the day before, and actually on many other occasions, when I came back from my first uh, uh, long time abroad, well, my experiences were entirely about the time that I had spent abroad. And so in conversation, it was inevitable that I was going to say something like, Oh, well, yeah, in, in London, uh, they have a store called blah, 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 where they sell blah, 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 blah. And they have a particular kind of candy that's like this sort of strange yeasty foam wrapped in bacon, blah, 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 blah. And uh, after a while, my friends got upset with me. They thought that I was showing off and they thought I was being a know-it-all. And I've been, I've, like I say, I've been accused of being arrogant and uh, and thinking that I know everything so many times, but I'm not aware of it. When I'm talking about something, it's because I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get that, my, my mouth starts running and it's like I wanna to communicate to somebody what excites me, which maybe is selfish. But at the same time, I will stop and I will ask that person everything I can. The girl I've been talking about, the one whose heart, heart problem I, I uh, discovered, the night I met her, she said, oh, I have this really boring job, I just answer phones. And I said, what do you mean? Tell me about it. And she said, well, I answer phones for an organization that provides uh, legal aid to people who are, well, basically nuts. And right then I was hooked. And for the next half hour or so, at least, I, most people would have considered it an interrogation. I considered it, uh, <laughs> uh, this is a job I will never have. And how else are you gonna learn about it? Exactly, or, or, or even experience it. When, yeah. I meet, when I meet a police officer, I always stop and ask a question. Always, always, always. In Walgreens, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there was a cop behind me, and I thought, okay, here's somebody who gets shot at, um, who has to run after the bad guys, who has to enter into strange places where there's probably a lot of fungus and other things that accumulate when you're dealing with people who are of the crimey committee sort, um, not really taking care of themselves or their homes. And, uh, and I couldn't help it. I said... And it's not a bad thing. I just said, so do you guys have a good health plan? Because you've got to. You can't have a health plan where you have a really high copay or coinsurance when occasionally you're going to go home with a bullet wound. <laughs> it's it's not the same thing as everyday regular people insurance. Um, he looked at me like I was, well, he looked at me the way my shrinks look at me, right? Like I'm about to diagnose you, but he just didn't know what to call me. And uh, probably nosy, but... It wasn't nosy. I just wanted to understand what it was like and and whether he 
had to have some kind of special insurance or on other occasions. Uh, I asked a policeman, for example, in a cafe, what's the procedure? When you're taking somebody down, what's the order in which you choose the weapon? How do you choose the weapon? Uh, uh, whether you go with the spray, the stick, the electrifier, or the hole in your body maker, how does this go? And this police officer was very nice, walked me through the entire process, and I learned a lot, right? It's not obsessive. I'm never going to be a cop. I couldn't be a cop. I learned that talking to him. I don't have it in me. I can never do that. Um, I learned about what it's like to face a child, basically, an adolescent who is being violent and learn what it feels like to have to do that and then know that you might legitimately take someone down who's 13 or 14 and that you're going to be in the papers the next day and there's going to be an investigation and you did the right thing. And I listened to him and I listened to the frustration and that's something I was not going to learn about unless I opened up my big fat mouth in a cafe, turned to the cop next to me who was on a break and broke into his life for a little while and made him answer all my questions. And uh, I don't see that as being obsessive. It's, it's just how I live every single day. Got to learn something. And sometimes there's just a particular focus because a subject will have an amount of depth that requires a commitment. I remember the day that I realized I didn't know anything about programming, even though I was already developing for a living. Uh, it was it was .NET. It was when .NET was coming out, and uh, I've been doing ASP.NET uh, work to to begin with, and I loved it, just adored it, right? Because when .NET came along, everything changed for everybody, except for the people who are stupid and don't like it, right? It's such a gorgeous, beautiful, lovely, wonderful thing, and. One day, I was looking for some obscure little section, little corner of the framework. And when I did, when I found it, in my mind, uh, I suddenly saw myself in the ocean and, and my head dipped below the water. And all I could see was this endless blue expanse below me. No bottom at all, no coral, no rocks, just endless water. And that was when I realized that my head was above the water before. I could see the the major namespaces and the the major methods and and whatnot of the framework, but that there was so much more beneath the surface uh, I was unaware of. And then of course that led to, well, everything that well you were there, um, meeting you, meeting meeting Chris, and uh, then eventually becoming a public speaker where you have to learn things well enough to be able to communicate them to an audience, mm -hmm. right? That's one of the most wonderful things about it, actually, is, is you are forced, which has a negative connotation, but you're forced. It's your job to learn this thing well enough to be able to, to say to people, this is how you do it in any number of ways. You got to have your analogies, your metaphors, your different ways of communicating this thing properly. And to do that, you got to hit the books and you've got to actually write software that nobody's ever going to see. You have to learn it. And it might look like an obsession, but it was for the love of it. You and Chris, when I saw you guys speak, that was something I didn't see. I, I didn't ever think about being a public speaker. 
And then I saw you guys speak, and unlike so many other people, instead of intentionally obfuscating a topic and trying to sound like the most intelligent people in the room, you did something similar to what Fritz Onion did with his book on ASP.net, which is you took very complex topics and you made them accessible, easy to understand, and you threw personality in there. And I thought, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And the next few years were all about getting there in a way, which I suppose we could call obsessive. But again, it was just for the love of it. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe a career is your love for the thing. And then the Merck manual sitting on your desk is an affair you're having. Uh, it's a mistress. Can you imagine what it would be like to not be like this? Yes. Uh, I mean, I can imagine imagining it. I'm twice removed, I think, from being able to actually imagine it. Uh, uh, it's like a scene in Lawrence of Arabia where he realizes he's not an Arab. You know, I'm, uh, uh, he hangs on to his, he pulls a little bit, he pinches his white skin and he says this, this is what I am. A man cannot want what he wants, right? Or in other words, too far removed from this thing to actually be able to be it. So I think about the dinner party. I think about my friends who got irritated with me for constantly bringing up Europe um, and, or actually any, any other number of subjects. And the deal is, I think that to be one of those people who doesn't think that way, and this is what I was talking about earlier as far as it perhaps being about intellectual capacity, which is the kind of topic that gets me called arrogant. Um, I, there's a lot of resentment or there are people who feel like they've wasted their lives or that they have had all this time and they haven't used it to learn things that you've learned and it irritates them not only that you have this knowledge maybe they're with their significant others and they feel like it makes them look lesser or they feel like they're being dominated I don't know but when I saw you speak and I saw Chris speak and I know from experience why I was speaking that I just loved to communicate these things. And it seems natural to me to want to communicate these things and for people to want to know about them. So to imagine what it might be like to just have a life where, uh, what do you do? You, you go home and you turn on the TV and you, what? I mean, what do you do? You wait for the next day so that you can do that again? I don't understand that. I don't see why anybody would do that. Connery and myself, Scott Hanselman, thank you for listening to this developer's life. This is a show that we put a lot of work into, and we're finding more and more that our listeners put a lot of work into this show, too. We appreciate your stories, we read every email, and we welcome your submissions. 
We'll see you again on the show. a big thank you to the folks at Code Rush for Visual Studio for helping support this developer's life. Code Rush has the fastest rename, the fastest find all references, fastest test runner. When it comes to creating, modifying, and refactoring code, nothing's faster than Code Rush. It's been on my ultimate power tools list since forever. Get Code Rush. I'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash Code Rush. We appreciate their support. Why do you